We must be the great arsenal of democracy. For us, this is an emergency as serious as war itself. We must apply ourselves to our task with the same resolution, the same sense of urgency, the same spirit of patriotism and sacrifice as we would show were we at war. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. That moment of democracy inspiration was from Franklin Delano Roosevelt's famous Arsenal of Democracy speech. His fireside chat on the threat to national security delivered on December 29, 1940, nearly a year before the U.S. entered the Second World War. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, October 26th. Moving from 1940 to today, I'm looking at what could be the final steps in Biden's budget proposal negotiations and news revelations that continue to stoke conversation about threats to American democracy. So first, the biggest item, Democrats are slowly and painfully unifying around a version of President Biden's domestic budget agenda. At this point, big ticket items which appear to be included in that social and climate spending package include a one-year extension on the child tax credit, limited expansion of Medicare, four weeks of paid medical and family leave for every U.S. worker, probably a narrower version of the drug pricing bill if they can get any at all in these last few days, a three-year expansion of Medicaid, which would cover most red states that declined to expand Medicaid in the past, some of the clean energy tax breaks, and universal pre-K. Taken out so far looks like more of the ambitious climate interventions, free community college, and making many of the components I just listed off permanent or long-term rather than a one-year or a three-year version to make it work financially. While many of these reforms, even if they get cut back, would be major expansions of social spending in the United States, it also still leave the U.S. behind many other countries around the world. For example, Congress is now considering four weeks of paid family and medical leave, down from the 12 weeks that were initially proposed. If the plan becomes law, the U.S. will no longer be one of six countries in the world and the only rich country without any form of national paid leave, but it would still be an outlier. Of the 185 countries that offer paid leave for new mothers, only one, Eswatini, once called Swaziland, offers fewer than four weeks. So Biden has said he wants a deal made this week before he travels to Europe at the end of the week for the G20 summit and the climate conference. When they reach this agreement, it would also allow the House to pass the separate $1.2 trillion bill to upgrade our country's roads, bridges, pipes, ports, and internet connections, and send them both to Biden's desk for signing very soon. At this point, it looks like one of the final major sticking points, no surprise though, is still how to pay for this entire package. This is after Senator Kristen Sinema has rejected increasing marginal tax rates on corporations, capital gains, and individuals, which even Manchin supported. She has indicated, however, that she's open to a minimum tax on corporations, perhaps a tax hike on billionaires. There also may be enough momentum to include Biden's proposal to roll back some of the Trump tax cuts for high earners and corporations. So the big thing on this is how does this all impact our democracy? These would be massive new investments, but there's real concern that whether the Democrats will be able to get credit for passing this bill. Will they pass it soon enough that we'll start to see movement that people will appreciate in their day-to-day lives? Will people start to benefit from that family leave? 
Will they get the Medicare expansion? Will they notice the child tax credits, which were thought to be really popular and seem to have so far not really been noticed or appreciated? The rollout of such a massive piece of legislation takes time, and the politics of this legislation is very much tied to how fast it gets rolled out. For that infrastructure bill, how much of that $1.2 trillion will be put to work and how quickly, how many shovel-ready projects, as they say, are there available and will it be happening in time to impact the midterm or the 2024 presidential elections remains to be seen. Overall, though, it's been a quiet week. Not a lot of major developments, a lot of negotiations, a lot of grandstanding. So the big conversations this week have been on you know, leads and insights into past behavior. You know, the Rolling Stone, for example, published a major expose with insights from two anonymous organizers of the January 6th Stop the Steal rallies, sharing that they held dozens of planning member meetings with conservative members of Congress and with White House staff, including Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows. They also claimed that Congressman Gosar offered them assurances about a blanket pardon from Trump in an unrelated ongoing investigation to encourage them to plan the protests. Obviously, that blanket pardon never happened, but more, the January 6th investigation continues and we should expect many more revelations and exposés like this one as it slowly grinds its way forward. Much of the detail of the insurrection is known. Exactly who was involved, when were they involved, how direct or indirect was their involvement. These are the details and the nuances that are being surfaced because those details and nuances get to culpability and legal liability. But more broadly, it's around the politics of it. Who was responsible for what and why did it happen? And that will continue to shape our narrative and our understanding of the situation we live in. Similarly, like the insurrection, Facebook has also been an ongoing stream of investigation and articles. The Facebook papers are producing a huge stream of articles from a range of outlets, combined with the continued testimony and comments from former Facebook employee turned whistleblower Frances Hagen. She's raising many issues that were internal to Facebook, from Instagram's impact on teen mental health, which we've heard about, to, more relevant to 10 Minutes on Democracy, how Facebook fueled hate and misinformation and political unrest. For example, one of the big revelations this week is that while Facebook has worked to stop the spread of misinformation before last year's election, to varying degrees of intensity and success, depending on who you ask, the new information is that it reportedly rolled back a number of the emergency measures it put in place after the elections. And then we face January 6th. Facebook tracked nearly 40,000 false news incidents per hour on January 6th, but they've so far denied any responsibility for the Capitol attack. Again, culpability, liability, who was involved, what could have been done. Both will impact the future of how we get our information, what regulations get put in place on social media or on media overall, but also impacts the politics of the moment. Last thing that I'm kind of looking at is some of the comments coming out from Biden and from others about filibuster reform. So what you're seeing right now is often what you see in politics where there are leaks being made. I was in a meeting with the Biden team or I was in a meeting with this senator and they said that they were open to this. These leaks are essentially trial balloons. What you're looking for is, are they being denied? And so far, some of the new comments that are being leaked or mentioned are not being as vociferously denied as they have been in the past. Biden's team saying they may be open to 
eliminating the filibuster or carving out a democracy exemption for the filibuster reform. Indications that Manchin may also be in support are open to this, and his team is not denying them as strongly. So this is what would be needed in order to pass the For the People Act, or the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, or the Freedom to Vote Act, the negotiated version of the For the People Act. And it's really needed. As we talked about last week, impact redistricting. Now six states have already passed their maps. Many more are in process. But the Freedom to Vote Act would have a huge impact. Also worth noting, though, even if we pass it, some things will be beyond the impact and the reach of federal legislation. So this fight is not going to be over one way or the other. For example, here in Michigan, as the Republican Party has continued to perpetuate false claims about the 2020 election, a new addition, the focus has been on who's in charge of certifying vote counts in future elections. So Republicans are now replacing members on county canvassing boards who certified the 2020 election results with new canvas board members who falsely claim that Trump won or who have proactively spread election misinformation. Republicans have now nominated new people to fill the posts in eight of Michigan's 11 biggest counties. And in many of those, the incumbent Republican canvasser wanted to be renominated, but was not because they had actually certified the elections. So even down to the granular level, what is happening county by county all over the country and who is in control of making sure our elections are counted fairly? That is up for contest. So while we have to focus on the Freedom to Vote Act, we also need to keep focusing on the local work. And as each of us get engaged, think about who can we support and how can we be present in our own communities and in other critical communities around the country to be strengthening democracy. So that's what I've got for this week's quick review of key democracy developments. I'm Jason Franklin. It's Tuesday, October 26th. And thanks for listening to 10 Minutes on Democracy.